0: Good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: Welcome to Making of Her Story. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, my name is Crystal Farley. And
1: I'm Heidi Solomon.
0: And welcome. Welcome to Making of Her Story, where we discuss the power of pivotal moments. So, before we get started with today's episode, Heidi, you've had a very big month, and I think you need to share a little bit and celebrate some of your wins.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you, Crystal. I know it has been exciting, you know, in addition to. Launching this podcast, which has been an amazing experience. Um, I just uh, stepped out of my comfort zone and accepted a position as chief executive officer for a small boutique business process outsourcing company headquartered in Guyana. I'll still be working out of uh, my home in New Hampshire when I'm not traveling, but. Uh, Their primary operations right now are in Guyana, and they do some business in the U.S. and Canada. So I'm really excited about pushing myself and spreading my wings and uh, growing both personally and professionally on this new adventure.
0: It's really exciting. Um, I think before we move on, I think it would be um, sort of helpful to share with people, though, because I know you struggled a little bit with with making this choice, right? And I couldn't be more proud than to be sitting next to a CEO, if you will, (laughs) right? But it's not always about the title. No, it's not. Would you mind sharing just a little bit of how, you you know, the risk that you took and what your journey looked like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have been in sales for the better part of 30 years. And I've been in the outsourcing industry. I've been blessed to have A very successful career and I was working at a company uh, for the last year and a half and you know once again I had a lot of success I was just recognized as their top performer Uh, I closed a lot of business last year I had a lot in the pipeline and this opportunity really just came out of the blue and sometimes you know the universe just delivers exactly what you need exactly at the right time and i could have chosen just to stay in my comfy situation that i was in but i decided that at this time in my life it was really the right time for me to take some risk and so i jumped into this And, you know, a good friend of mine told me that it'll either be the best thing I did or just another thing I did. Mm. And so I don't think that there's failure associated with this at all. In fact, for me, failure is not an option, but um, I suppose I could always default back uh, to my comfort zone if I had to. But hopefully I'll just uh, be able to to fly.
0: I'm excited for you. And I, and I always say that growth happens outside of the comfort zone. So to hear you say that it makes me really excited. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess I look at obviously I'm a big part of this part of your life, right? From the making of her story perspective. Um, and obviously I think this is brilliant. But, you know, I think for you to take the risk and leave your comfort zone where you know you're going to be successful, where you could just stay and, you know, um, not struggle, but just thrive on status quo, you're going to push yourself. And that is, you know, an inspiration, I think. And I think you should find a lot of reward in that and Thank accept you. the recognition. So.
1: so talking about stepping out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. I know you <laughs> very well. Mm-hmm. And I know your comfort zone is to focus on everyone else yes. other than yourself. Um, that's a really comfortable spot for you. But today we are going to focus on you yes. uh, because you have an amazing story and uh, it needs to be shared. So, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, your the other part, side of your life, right? Um, in terms of the podcast series that you that you run and uh, how that came about, sure. and and then from there, I think you know I'd like to learn a little bit more about your childhood and and how uh, you you know, how you, how you, what was your journey to get here? Sure. I'd be happy to,
0: happy to share that with you, Heidi. And I'll just pretend <laughs> that there's not other people listening at some point. How's that? <laughs> just you and I having coffee. Yeah. So, um, and so some of you do know that I have another podcast called people, trauma and stress, disgust and unfiltered truth. Um, and so obviously there's a play on words there, right? So PTSD, people, trauma, stress, disgust, um, My girlfriend, Heather, and I have both been diagnosed with PTSD. And so she was diagnosed early last year because she saw her family, she witnessed her family get killed in a car accident, her mother and her siblings. I was diagnosed with PTSD because of my time in the military. And so us being both diagnosed with PTSD and not overly comfortable talking about it had decided one day that... Well, Heather decided, I'll give her full credit, that we should have a podcast. And so, you know, I really heavily contemplated that and I researched what existed at that point. And I'm a huge podcaster. I love listening. There were 30 on iTunes. I would say 90% of them were male and all of them were clinical. Nothing that I could relate to. And so while I could find significant information on business or women or whatever, there was nobody talking about PTSD. And um, I was like, you know what? We should make a podcast. Why not? Like we should end the stigma. We should have the conversation. It's the elephant in the room and people don't talk about it.
1: Yeah, and what I really love about your podcast is I think it broadens the definition of PTSD. So, you know, for myself before you educated me you know i really had always associated ptsd directly with the military but what i like about what you're doing is that there are there are often you know other traumatic events that uh could trigger this type of condition right absolutely absolutely talk a little bit about that
0: and that's what most people think so most people think that ptsd is military related and you know when um when PTSD was first sort of being researched many moons ago, it was, that's where it was identified from, was the, the military, but it's been broadened so much since, I mean, research and psychotherapy has just really come so far when it comes to this disorder. Um, and so, you know, we, we literally sit week after week, we have a cup of coffee and we talk about how PTSD impacts our lives. The other, I think, caveat to that though is what you're saying, and you don't have to necessarily achieve a hum or be a part of a humongous tra- traumatic event to have PTS, right? So if you take the disorder piece away, that's a diagnosis, but post traumatic stress that happens to everybody.
1: So it could be a it could be a divorce. Yes, it yes. could be the illness of a child.
0: Exactly, exactly, and so. So that podcast launched, and I'll get back into that because I think that's really important. Um, that podcast launched in September of 2018, and after looking at it two days ago, we had 10,000 listens already. Okay. That's amazing. You, yeah, it's organic growth, too. So like six months, six and a half months later, um, we have 10,000 listens. We only have Facebook and Instagram, and that's it. And it's word of mouth. We know we're never going to be top-notch, you know, iTunes, like, best podcasts out there because we're so niche. Like, we get that. We don't want to.
1: But people need it.
0: But people need it. And the people that need it will find it. And the people that like it will continue to listen. And so, yeah. So
1: let, let's talk a little bit about your time in the military. Yeah. Um, how did you get in there? What did you do? And, you know, what was uh, maybe some of the triggering moments that? uh you know was you know cause PTSD yeah
0: and I think you know so my time in the military was not in the front lines I wasn't outside the wire or anything like that but I decided to go into the military when I was 27 so it was later in life and that means I went through basic training as like the second oldest person second oldest female in my group and that sort of thing so I was wiser than most of the, the young people that I was with um and so when you're older and you're going in as a reservist in the military, for those of you that are not familiar, um, you tend to get more, um, you get—you tend to have more responsibility because you are older and you've had life experiences that the other people haven't, so you can guide, which is right at my wheelhouse. I was so excited to guide the females, right, when it came to learning and uh, being a part of that basic military training experience. Um, and so I, I had enlisted as a 2T2, which is air transportation. It's a highly deployable job because we are the Southwest of the airfield. And so what that means is, if you go up to the ticket counter, my job processes your ticket. My job builds your baggage pallet my job brings your baggage your passengers to the plane my job brings your cargo to the plane my job joint inspects all of the cargo coming from the other branches it encompasses a lot and the airfield cannot function without us so there was a bonus when i joined I was really excited. Logistics, I could totally do that. I was a people person. I mean, I am a people person, I guess. Um, Customer service is my thing. So I knew it would be a good fit for me. But I didn't put two and two together that a bonus means it's highly deployable, means that I'm probably going to deploy a lot, right? So the recruiters don't tell you some things. Hmm, They leave that
1: part out, right?
0: So – so needless to say i got in i did really well i was an honor graduate in, te- in uh, basic training i was a distinguished graduate in tech school and i loved it i love military education and being a part of that culture several years later i so from like i you know i was in um, my husband and i were married for a year when i had gone through basic training and all of that he went through the police academy when I came home from basic training, I had a daughter. So, well, I got pregnant and then nine months later had a daughter. So, um, very happy time in my life. I was really excited. Fast forward a year, I was up for deployment. And so I, I volunteered to go because if I didn't volunteer, I was going to be voluntold. And that's just how it works. It was my turn. And I was okay with that. I was okay with that. I wasn't necessarily okay with leaving my one-year-old daughter at
1: that That point. must have been so hard. Yeah. can't imagine.
0: Yeah, that was that was really challenging. I mean, I literally just had to hand her over to her grandmother and be like, okay, I have to go. Like, I would have just stayed and cried, and that wouldn't have been good for anybody. So um, come to find out later, my husband at the time was not okay with me going either, but he never shared that with me. So I deploy. Um and I'm gone for about seven months, and you know, dealing with the emotions leading up to the deployment work was hard. You know, my husband and I weren't really okay. Um, I'm leaving my one-year-old daughter, and then I'm in country for September. So I landed in Bagram, Afghanistan, September seventh of two thousand and twelve. Four days later was September eleventh of two thousand twelve, the eleven-year anniversary of September eleventh, two thousand one. Okay. So they, the Afghanis, they didn't need any reason to attack us. They would have done it anyways. But it was September 11th, so let's commemorate the occasion. And so four days in country, obviously very emotional, we get attacked. I'm sleeping because I work day shifts, so I'm sleeping or trying to sleep. And the sounds of the bombs going off and the IEDs coming in and the alarms going off and people running and... Um, security forces running through the hallways telling everybody to get down and get out and just pure chaos chaos. Mm -hmm. I was so scared I, I, I laugh at this now because the visual is funny to me but my roommate and I, another young girl literally sat on our floor in our underwear and we laughed so hard because we were so nervous and had no idea what to do no idea but did I you
1: d- did you think at that moment first oh my gosh I could die yeah second oh my gosh bell
0: yeah I was like I'm I'm literally here for four days and now I'm gonna die and never see my kid again yeah so you know but what's interesting about that is that when you
1: but you laughed out of nervousness
0: out of nervousness I was yeah. scared it was death. like this Had no crazy idea.
1: response like yeah. why are we sitting yeah.
0: here laughing no this idea. is not
1: funny no idea <laughs> You know, and
0: eventually it subsided, and then yeah. you know, as anybody that's listening that has been deployed before, you get complacent and you get because it happens all the time. So that was just my first experience, my first exposure. But I was there for Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and they love to celebrate the holidays over there with fireworks that are not fun. So, um,
1: so you came back, and then
0: I came. Back. There were
1: triggers you didn't know. Yeah. So, but that you couldn't really identify what was happening, right? You yeah. just knew you weren't okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot happened. My um, divorce started during December when I was there.
1: <coughs> Ooh, Sorry. God bless Please. you. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so, my divorce process started while I was overseas. I came home to um, not being allowed in my home. My, my husband at the time didn't want me to come home. Um, I wasn't allowed to see my daughter unless I asked permission. I had to live with my friend. I'm a 30 something year old woman having to live with my friend in her basement um, and coming home to nothing. I mean, in my job, I was still on leave, so I didn't go back to work yet. And I remember I was running on a treadmill one day and I just started crying and I had no idea why. And that was when I realized something was wrong. And so I started a long journey. You know, it's been six years now of therapy and healing and all of that. Um, I was misdiagnosed for five years. So psychiatrists tried to give me pills, um, therapists just tried to, wanted to hear my story over and over again. And again, psychotherapy has come so far and that they don't want to drag you through all of that anymore. They want you to know that that was your past and you need to move on from it, but that's not been therapy of the past. So it's hard to constantly retell your story so that people can try to help you.
1: You're reliving it. Reliving
0: it over and over and over again. Um but through the podcast i've found that being able to share your story in a meaningful way is part of the healing process which is why this podcast means so much to me because i think as we learn and as we hear more and more these stories are incredible and nobody's had it easy and like you said before so me having this podcast has allowed me to understand where stress comes from, why it is. I did not have a wonderful upbringing. My therapists call it colorful. Um, you know, from divorce.
1: Well, yeah. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, in my personal opinion, I think it was more than colorful. It was. <laughs> it was actually a lot of you know trauma and to- and toxicity, right? Yeah. In your. Your childhood, so maybe talk a little bit about that.
0: And I encourage people to do some research for their own their own knowledge. The adverse childhood um, experiences spreadsheet's really interesting to look at. But so you know, I'll keep this quick because I know that we I could talk about this for hours. But um, born and raised Long Island, New York, my parents did not have a healthy relationship. My father was abusive to my mother emotionally, and would just go have affairs and come home and she took him back time after time happened four times before I was 13 and then when I was 13 he finally left for good Uh, my mother turned to drugs so my mother got involved with a man who got her introduced to heroin and she became a heroin addict so I was then responsible for myself and my sister Um, I worked I started working at the age of 14 to try to make ends meet and feed my sister my poor sister I fed her Bagels, because I worked at a bagel shop for most of her um, years in yeah, you know. high school.
1: <laughs> but it she's beautiful. I mean, she, you know, it worked
0: out. Bagels uh, are good. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, my mom, we you know. We need a
1: bagel sponsor.
0: I know. Jojo Bagels in New York. I'm yeah, sure They're awesome. <laughs> they, yeah. Uh, so,
1: so, you know, just to, I, I don't yeah. want to derail you yeah, on, yeah. on the track, but, um, you know, you kind of had maybe two different choices probably more but one you could have just become this you know I I hate to to use the term bad kid or troubled kid at risk risk, child right but instead you stepped up and took on all this responsibility how did you you know when you think back at that at that time how did you make that decision I love that
0: thank you for that question because I wasn't sure what my pivotal moment was but you just you just got me so my mother and my so i was dating this guy who i knew did drugs my mother i wasn't aware i knew that she was doing drugs but i wasn't sure yet right i was asked to my my boyfriend asked me to take me to brooklyn to or the bronx rather to get him some heroin i said yeah how old were you 17. okay my mom said can i come and i said sure I come for the ride It's all good, whatever. I have no idea. I can take my mom's car. I'm like, ooh, I get to drive my mom's car to the city this time. Lincoln Town Car. It's beautiful. Drive in. They pick up the heroin. Drive out. Little do I know, there's money exchange happening in the back, and my mom's buying heroin off of my boyfriend.
1: Oh, my God. Right.
0: So needless to say, I had the, um, that was sort of like the, holy crap, what am I doing here? This aha moment. Right. Like, I could be arrested. (laughs) Um, They could be arrested. If I get involved in this, am I going to start doing it? I mean, I think that was my, like, okay, I need to do something different moment, right? And so, once Freddie had told me that my mother had bought heroin off of him, I was like, this is not okay. And so, I remember confronting my mother. And you have to pardon me. Like, I've blocked out a lot of my childhood, so I don't know all of the details, Um, But it was shortly thereafter, my mom and her boyfriend broke up. She decided to move to Florida. She took my sister because my sister was only 14. But I was 17, having just graduated high school, and I chose to stay in New York. So I was fortunate enough to get to score a $400 a month studio apartment that my friend's grandmother let me live in and have a roommate so I could just pay $200 a month. And I worked. I worked my, my butt off. And that was it for me. I realized I was good in school and I've been great professionally or grand professionally because I can be. That's the choice that I can make for myself. And I think, it, you know, the, the message resonates over and over and over again. No one can help you unless you're ready to help yourself.
1: Mm. Yes. And
0: that was it. And yes, I.
1: No, nothing you has you been at perfect You had already taken on the mom role.
0: Yeah exactly so it's but time for me to do me do you yeah
1: take care of yourself
0: and so I've made this choice I've made were you life, nervous
1: but. about letting your sister go with your mom
0: I was but I knew I couldn't do it anymore couldn't do it I could you had
1: to focus on yourself yeah.
0: which is even even to this day even though I know it was the right decision it still feels selfish to say it but I know it was the right decision and I wouldn't change my life for anything I am grateful for every single day of my life and every lesson I've learned
1: Pretty interesting so you know what advice might you give to others that might be you know going through similar struggles um, or have had a traumatic childhood um, you know on how to how to move past that right
0: so I do a lot of you, you don't want it to yeah.
1: define you right and so That's many it. people so many people do you yeah. know they don't they're unable to let go of that past, mm-hmm. and there's, and I get it, right? There's anger and there's blame, and there's oh, so yeah. many different emotions, you know, that go along with that. But, um, it's, and it's
0: easy, it's easy to blame, it's easy to, it, all of that is so easy. And so now, you know, we've talked about, I have my own stress management business, right? Mm-hmm. So I provide workplace stress management solutions. It's one of my things, along with many others. But, you know, I think for me, my one of my taglines is. Do not be defined by your stress. So I think that it's really important to recognize that who you are today does not have to be who you were yesterday. And I think, you know, with the podcast, I get a lot of outreach, like, how are you going to help me? What are you going to do for me? You are not the victim. You are no longer the victim. If you were weak, you would not be here today if you survived everything that you've survived. And you need to believe that. I can't believe that for you. So I think, you know, taking, taking accountability accountability for yourself and that nobody is going to fix you, but you, that would be my advice. And I, you know, and I truly believe everybody can do it. Everyone.
1: So they have the strength, strength within, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you, how do you tap into it though?
0: I am a huge fan of any sort of alternative therapy. You know, we talk about Reiki and that's how this, this podcast came about. Yeah taking two minutes to meditate every morning, journaling, I'm creating a journaling course because I think that people that get rid of negative thoughts, if you write down negative thoughts, tear them up and throw them away, it's a really great release. You're controlling them at that point. And so I think, you know, just finding what works for you, finding a therapist is not easy. Doing you is not easy. Taking any time for yourself is not easy, especially as a mom or all of these little hats and different roles that we have. It takes away from those things, right? But will you be a better you for everyone around you if you take care of yourself?
1: And and do you find that still by nature you're a rescuer and how, you know, you're totally right. And so then when when you get into that, I need to control this. I need to be perfect. I need to you know, rescue this yeah. person? How do you how do you pull back, right? Because to your point, you can't rescue everybody.
0: Right. Um, so people that have been through trauma traditionally are radical empaths, imp- imp- right? <laughs> so like I just feel, I love, I want to help everyone. And I think at this point, I'm wise enough to know that I can't and I take a step back. But I will always tell, let people know that I'm here because I believe that if you truly need help, you will be directed to come to me and I want to help but I, need, I know I need to take a step back because I will then not be the best person for myself. So really, you know, it's its a, it's a balance, but I wish I could help everyone.
1: That's perfect. Well, you know, you you have a huge reach, right, through your podcast. So why don't you tell people how they can find it? Yeah.
0: So you can find it on any of your podcast apps, um, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, um, and Google Play. It's People, Trauma, and Stress Disgust, PTSD, and Unfiltered Truth.
1: Awesome. awesome. I know you're out of your comfort zone. I am. I am. But, but thank you, you for, you for sharing. Yeah,
0: there's growth out of your comfort zone. All right.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.